Welcome to Go Into All the World. Our host is Gary Griffinhagen. Gary's been working through Romans 6. We've seen we are now dead, baptized into Christ, with our old man being dead. This means believers are free from sin. The power that held us and often led us to sin is now gone. As we reckon ourselves free, as we do not let sin reign, and we do not obey sin as servants, we will walk in our freedom, see less and less sin, and walk as servants of righteousness. Now here's Gary. Well, listen, last week I left off with verse 18, and again, thanks for joining me. Verse 18 summarizes our freedom from sin, which allows us to be servants of righteousness. Servants, again, can be viewed, if you want to call it, or signify slaves. That means we are bound, spirit, soul, and body, to our Lord Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. Our efforts, our focus, our desires for him and his kingdom. And again, this is not some servile, forced, or coerced, or letter of the law type relationship, but it comes from our newness of life, which we basically got, or so become our new self or with our new spirit. So the old man died, the new man comes in and takes over, and again, this new man is aimed for God and his kingdom. Well, let's go to verse 19. <clears throat> it reads, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members' servants to uncleanliness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. Well, Paul gets very real here, and <clears throat> he gets very human in this verse. New believers have just left the light that Paul described. We had been yielding ourselves, or if you're a new believer, yielded yourselves to sin, all of its pull, all of its lust, all of its focus, all of its desire. And, okay, we're now going to yield ourselves to slaves of righteousness. And we're going to lead ourselves to slaves, if you would, of holiness and become holy. In the past, we were headed, so to speak, due east. We were pushing, striving, aiming to go in that direction. What would fulfill me? What do I need? What, what about this? What about that? I saw it on TV. However, now we've turned around, and we want to use our focus, our efforts, our strength to head, so to speak, west, the opposite direction, to become slaves of righteousness. <clears throat> Verse 20 reads, For when, when we were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. I want to quote today from Romans, Paul's Masterpiece on Grace by Andrew Womack. Andrew gives a wonderful synopsis of this verse, and he notes an amazing point that uh, Paul referred to. Rather than kind of take part of the commentary, I'm just going to read it in entirety. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Paul had just made a statement in Romans six nineteen that we should serve the Lord with the same fervor that we serve the devil, same fervor we served him with before we were born again. And he kind of continues the comparison through Romans 6.22. And here's his point. Paul was saying that in the same way that our good acts could not change our sinful nature before we were born again, likewise our sinful acts cannot change our righteous nature now. <clears throat> we've become new creatures in Christ. So again, now that we've become new creatures in Christ, what we were, okay, cannot be changed. The, go the old man is gone. We're back to the new man. I'm kind of paraphrasing there. Anyways, let me go back to the commentary. It says, in this verse, the phrase servants of sin is describing people before they're born again. The phrase free from righteousness is not saying lost people cannot do anything right, but rather all of their good acts aren't good enough to change their nature. 
They must be born again. Most Christians accept this truth unquestionably. They were saved, if you would, believing that. Yet, this exact same terminology is used again in Romans 6.22 in a way that very few born-again Christians accept. The same logic that was used in this verse is reversed in Romans 6.22. And here's what he's saying. If servants of sin in this verse signified people before salvation, then servants of God in Romans 6.22 notes that just the opposite. People before salvation, then servants of God in Romans 6.22, we've been saved through faith in Christ. If free from righteousness, in this verse describe lost people who are incapable of changing their sinful nature by their own good works, then free from sin in Romans 6.22 describes Christians as being unable to change their righteous nature through their sins. Let me repeat that. As saying Christians are not able to change their righteous nature from sins. Sorry, through sins. I want you to think about this. This is a very powerful truth. In the same way that our sinful nature could not be changed by our actions, now our new born again spirits cannot be changed by our actions either. If we're going to accept one of these truths, we have to accept the other. We cannot honestly accept this verse and reject Romans 6.22 when the exact same terminology is used in the same context. Actions cannot produce the new birth, and actions cannot destroy the new birth. We had to believe to receive salvation. We have to willingly reject that faith to become reprobate. Well, let's go on to verse 21. It says, <clears throat> What fruit had ye then in those things wherefore ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Before our salvation, the things we did produced a fruit that we are not proud of nor want to talk about. Fortunately, our actions that produce that fruit are not published. They're not shouted aloud from the rooftops. They're not written down in a book or a tablet and really are not generally paraded in any type of form before others except if we ourselves make them known. Now, however, we can produce fruit for God, fruit that we are proud of, fruit that we are glad to, so to speak, produce, and fruit which will bring glory to God. We again want to remember that the nature that produced that fruit is gone. The first fruit is gone. And remember I've said many times before, if we recognize we are dead to sin, we distance ourselves from sin, which means we'll see less and less and less sin in our lives. Well, let's go on to verse 622. It reads, <clears throat> But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Well, again, the lengthy commentary I read they had many comments on this verse. But let's look at this at one more, maybe from a different angle. As we were slaves to sin before our salvation and produced fruit that we are now ashamed of and could never do enough works sufficient to save us, now, however, we are slaves to God in the same way our works cannot change us or unsave us. And a second point here is to note is look, it says holiness fruit onto holiness. So again, holiness is a fruit. It's a byproduct of our relationship with God. It doesn't mean that holiness produces a relationship with God. Let me read that again. <clears throat> our fruit, our, the holiness is a fruit. It's a byproduct of a relationship with God. And it's not, so to speak, something that produces a relationship with God. Many times we think we have to be holy. We find verses that kind of refer to that. Well, 
It's not talking about your holiness is going to get a relationship with God. It might be part of your new nature and part of your walk with God. But that relationship with God, okay, is not based on your holiness. It's based on what Christ did and we receiving and accepting that and believing, if you would. All right, Romans verse 6, 23. It's the last one in Romans 6. I'm going to read it, and there's quite a few comments on it. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this verse is kind of covering, if you would, the wages of sin. What are the wages of sin? It reads, the payment is death. To me, this is a very equitable exchange. We engage in sin, we receive just payment. Let's contrast that with what Christ, I'm sorry, what God did through Christ. We are now slaves of righteousness. As one commentary notes, we don't get things from God on the basis of our effort. Instead, it's on the basis of faith. It is a gift, and that gift is eternal life. So one, we were doing wages, or so to speak, doing actions, and we received the wage of death. Now we're receiving a gift, and okay, this is the, rift. the gift that we receive is eternal life. For today, you do this thing. I, I think God wants us to meditate on this verse. You know, we've all committed sin and fallen short. The Bible says we're all sinners. None of us are righteous. We are not worthy, if you would, of, of life, so to speak, via a righteous life on our own. Like if we had lived righteously, we could not produce that, okay? Theoretically, we should have received a wage or we should receive a wage. And again, listen to this, that wage would leave no hope, no future, and eternal separation from God, But as the Bible said, God, who is rich in mercy, he reconciled us to him. He gave us a hope and he gave us a future. Again, think about that. This reconciliation or method to reconcile was a gift from God to humanity. We were set to receive damnation and we were going to receive everlasting death. But God changed that. Again, not by our effort, but by a gift bought, packaged, and offered to all of us. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ. I want to again paraphrase a couple comments from a commentary in this verse. It says, the sin spoken of in verse 23 is not an individual act of sin, but rather the sin nature of the old man, as it is often referred to. Those who receive Christ will not be be held accountable for their sin. Because now they have a new nature. Our payment, the payment for us that are born again, the payment for us that are new, our payment was made by Christ. He took the sins of the world and offers us a new life being born again. As one commentary notes, he took both our sin nature as well as the individual sins. He took it all. It's all gone. It's all been exchanged. Now, what about the people who reject him? Those who reject him are still liable for their sins. They're liable for their sin nature. They have a dual problem. They've committed individual sins and their nature's wrong. What is the payment they're going to look forward to? What is the payment they have? What is the payment they have coming? The payment they have coming, as we know, is death, both physical death and spiritual death. Now, I'm going to talk about that for a minute. The term death here does not refer to physical death. Physical death as well as the results of the sin nature, like things like sickness, depression, fear. Physical death is a byproduct of the spiritual death already present on the inside of us. In Genesis 2.17, we read that God told Adam the day that he ate of the forbidden tree, he would surely die. Adam lived to be 930 years old. 
Well, then death came. But what happened back when he ate? What happened back then was he died spiritually. So again, the physical death, if it's not showing, if you want to call it or not, including that spiritual side, all right, then we all have something to look forward to, spiritual life or spiritual death upon our physical death. Again, we have to look forward or we all have to look forward to spiritual life or spiritual death after our physical death. Well, let's talk again a little bit more about spiritual death. We can kind of look at it in two different categories. The first one is separation. The first death is separation from God. This is what we inherited through Adam. So that old nature, the day that you eat of this, you're going to die. And unless you're born again, you're going to die in your sins. This is what we have, separation from God. So this verse is specifically speaking about spiritual death or the spiritual death we inherited from Adam. Now, the second death, okay? And if you want to say it's basically this one can include both of them. The second death is eternal banishment from God and torment in the lake of fire. Think about that. If you don't have Christ, you're going to face the second death. You'll face a spiritual death in the sense that you never get born again, but then you're going to face another spiritual death or the ultimate spiritual death. You'll be banished from God in his presence, and you'll be in torment for the rest of your lives. And we noted earlier, there are some other, if you want to call it aspects of death, things like sickness, depression, fear. And I want to end today with one really important comment, so please listen to this. I kind of, God kind of gave it to me as I was preparing for the program. The, <clears throat> the word gift is used in this verse. A gift is given or bestowed without compensation. We have nothing to do with earning this gift. If we could earn eternal life, it would cease to be a gift. Let's think on this statement for a minute. Eternal life is a gift given by God to us. Now, if we could lose it, if we could lose eternal life, it couldn't be eternal. It would not be eternal. It would be temporary, fleeting, transitory, but not eternal. And if I or any human could do something of omission or commission that would cause it not to be eternal, say, so be again, referred back to something fleeting or temporary, the whole premise, the whole premise of what Jesus died for, the whole promise is just completely ripped away. We would have no assurance we would not have a basis for faith. Remember that faith is called the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I can hope for eternal life. That's a substance, substance I'm hoping for, a goal, something measurable. If eternal life is not eternal, but it's temporary, transitory, fleeting, I have no basis for faith. Last thing I want to say here, look at Ephesians 2.18. For by grace... You, I'm sorry, two ways, excuse me. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Can we make this statement if this gift is not eternal? If this gift is transitory or fleeting, can we make this statement? Obviously, we cannot say that because we couldn't even say we're saved. We could say, well, maybe we're saved, or we're saved until, or if I, if I keep being good enough or whatever the standard is, I, I, I could be saved, or I'll be saved for 10 days in a row, or a couple years in a row, or something like that. Okay, so I'm going to go to Ephesians 2, 8, as I kind of moved on here from Romans. It says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, there's a gift of God. 
could we make this statement if our gift was not eternal? So that's kind of the same thing that I talked about in the paragraph or the section before this. If our gift is not eternal, then we can't say it's eternal life. If we say it's not part of the gift or we say we have to do something, then it's not a gift either. So again, if I have to do something, it's not a gift. If I have to do something to keep myself saved, then I can't say it's eternal because I don't know if I can keep it or not. So think about that, and we'll kind of come back to that next week as we go into Romans 7. Well, I want to kind of review. Uh, For some of you, it's been a number of years, or I've been on the show a little bit over two years. I want to talk about my ministry at Silverado High School. I watched a, a man, okay, his name is Clyde Rivers, and now it's called Sir Clyde Rivers. He's actually been graced by, if you want to call it that, grace, so to speak. He's a king now in Africa. That's kind of a kind of a funny story. But he and I were pastors of a church. He was the lead pastor uh, in Victorville, California. And after I watched him for a couple years and served him, I felt that I had learned that, you know, kind of my spirit's like, you're going to have your own ministry. Well, I went to Silverado High School, which I won't go to the whole thing, but I was at a different high school, and over the summer they transferred, and I didn't really want to go. But the principal, turns out he was a Christian, he said, I saw something in you. Well, when I went to Silverado High School, the very first day, I walk in, I'm getting my paperwork done, this lady walks up and she said, I know you're a pastor, I've heard you're a pastor. And I said, yeah. She said, well, I want you to be the new leader of our, uh, so to speak, or advisor, so to speak, for the Bible club. And I said, you know, I wasn't saved as a teenager. I'm not sure I, I would be, do a good job. I don't feel real comfortable. Since I wasn't saved then, what would you do with teens, okay? And she said, doesn't make any difference. I'm, 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 I'm making a decision. And I kind of fought her for another 30, 40 seconds with was completely futile because she looked at me and she said, Mr. Grivenhagen, you're going to be the advisor. Here's the first meeting. Bye. And she walked out the door. Well, here's what happened. I was praying about it a little bit, and I was kind of confused. Thought, well, how, what's going to happen? Well, I walked in the first day, and praise God, he had four young ladies sitting there. I walked into this Bible club called the J.C. Fan Club. It was probably met after school or at lunch. I don't remember the exact situation, but anyways. <clears throat> and I asked those four girls, as I looked at them, I said, well, what do you guys want to do with this club? Because, again, I wasn't saved at team. I really wasn't quite sure where to go with this. And they looked at me in unison. They said, we want to see God move on this campus. And I thought, well, you know, and this, by the way, was very comforting because that's something I know. I see God move on the campus all the time. I could get excited about that. And I think if you want to call, I could produce that or we could walk it together. Over the next four and a half years, God touched people in that high school. Okay, and I should say four years because technically it was just four, not a half, but four years. God touched lives in that high school. And I'm going to tell you a few stories. I'll start today, and maybe I'll bring a few more tomorrow and or a few more next time. But God wanted to reach his campus. These young ladies wanted to see that, and God began to minister on the campus. So we would have pretty much have weekly meetings. Maybe we did a little praise and worship. I don't think we did too much of that. But anyways, we would have these meetings. And one of the first meetings, I invited a prophet. And by the way, he happened to be the guy that I was pastoring with. He was also called a prophet. And before he came, this was like on a, I think it was a Friday, on Wednesday of that week, a young lady had come to me, one of the members of the club, and said, you know, uh, Gary, I'm just very, very depressed. I just can't seem to break out of it. 
you know, I'm a believer, I love God, but I'm depressed and it's been that way for a while and I don't know where I'm going to go. And so we, I think we prayed a little bit, but she was kind of down, okay? Well, <clears throat> when this prophet came to the meeting, he gave a, a very nice talk, kind of a general Bible talk type stuff, exhorting the people. And he kind of ended with two words. He looked at one young lady and said, you know, it's okay to be a lawyer, not a school teacher. And he said, and he didn't point to the girl I mentioned here on the Wednesday, but anyways, he said, the spirit of depression is being broken off of somebody. So that spirit of depression, he was getting it in the spirit, or he was receiving that in the spirit, that God was breaking the spirit of depression. And basically, I, I knew who he was talking about, this young lady, because there was nobody else depressed or you know, even any kind of signs of that. Well, as soon as he left, the first thing I got a lot was a lot of flack that what if he's wrong? You know, and the girl about the lawyer and the teacher's thing, she said, well, I don't think that's true. She didn't really receive it very well. But anyways, God began to minister, okay, like that. We would have visitors come in. We had people talk. And here's the story about this young lady with depression. Uh, it was, we went on to Christmas time, okay? This was probably in November or so when he came. And we had planned to do this skit. We had taken basically a kind of a two months or maybe a month and a half, and we, we'd kind of had a little skit worked out. They were going to have a Christmas celebration on campus. We were allowed to promote things and do things, if you would. We are going to have like a little mini skit. Well, we had this mini skit for about a month and a half, two months. And you know what? It just never came together. It was terrible. I don't quite know all the ramifications, but for some reason it just... It just felt flat. We didn't feel like it was going to work. We didn't feel good about it. Well, we got together the day before the Christmas, you know, kind of presentation out in the quad, and we said, you know what, this is not going to work. So we decided we're just going to cancel. But, you know, I thought about it, and I thought to myself, we've invested all this time, all this energy, and this is a wonderful opportunity. There's 1,500 students on this campus, and a lot of them are going to be at this Christmas celebration. We had kind of an overhang over our quad so people could see things. Well, in my mind, okay, I felt I don't think God would, so to speak, I don't think we should have this opportunity pass us by. There's got to be something more to this. So I looked at the kids and I said, I'm going to say this. If God is in the quad at 7 o'clock in the morning, tomorrow morning, we're going to do something. And they looked at me like, what are we going to do? Well, I replied to them, I'm not sure what we're going to do. But again, this is an opportunity. It's a great opportunity in front of the whole campus. I don't think, again, God would let us pass it by. So I went, went home, prayed whatever. And that next morning I went to the quad and guess what? God was in the quad. Now that's a whole nother story how I knew God was in the quad or how I sensed it. But anyways, I knew that God was in the quad and that was a sign we're going to do something. We got together. Okay. And I think we had like a, like, I don't know, like a short meeting. It was like, we have like a little break time. Okay. Leading up to the, uh, the time for the pageant or sorry, this process. Anyways, <laughs> my bad. We had time to put something together, and here's what came to my mind. Let's get a hat, okay, or like a big base, and put in reasons for the seasons. And so we were going to call it reasons for the seasons. Reasons for the seasons, one, I'll get gifts, travel, see family, and just, you know, five or six things like that. 
Then the last, okay, the last little ticket or the last reason would be, of course, Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, listen, I'll continue the story next week. I'm going to have Russ close the show, and thanks so much for listening today. Would you support this program? Would you pray about that? If so, would you go online and just go to give.cornerstone.cc slash graceandtruthradio. That's give.cornerstone.cc slash graceandtruthradio. And if you send in your kind donation, just put in the comment line of your check, go into all the world. Well, that should do it for now. So we'll see you again here next week on this good station. Thanks for joining us on Go Into All the World. One last thing, if you have any stories that you would like to share with Gary as to how the Lord has worked through you when you went into all the world, just send him an email. Go to ptl underscore Hagen at yahoo.com. That's ptl underscore Hagen at yahoo.com.